Well, thank you, Gordon. It's a, a great joy to be back uh, finally in Kuala Lumpur after two and a half years of expulsion because of a virus and uh, a pleasure to be bringing God's word this morning. Let's pray. Gracious God, your word to us is light and life. Shine the light of your word in our hearts, we pray, so that we may live for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Facebook reminds me what I did this day a year ago, or two or three or five or ten years ago, often trivial things. Uh, I guess if you're a Malaysian on Facebook, it'll remind you what you ate one year ago, five, ten years ago. My experience of living in Malaysia for seven years was that uh, Malaysians take photographs of every meal they eat and put them on Facebook. So it'll remind you on this day three years ago that you ate, you know, curry laksa or something. It is good to remember, although I think Facebook's memories are often trivial, but sometimes they're significant. It does remind me of birthdays and anniversaries and so on. But it is good to remember key events, ceremonies, and uh, anniversaries. When ancient Israel left their slavery in Egypt under Moses, way back in the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, they had an annual celebration to remember that event, Passover. We know the name. It's still familiar to us, even though we're nearly three and a half thousand years later. In fact, the instructions for celebrating Passover every year were given before they actually left Egypt. So certain was the event, this is how you will celebrate it year by year, even though you're not yet left. And that Passover festival marked also the beginning of the grain harvest in our calendar, March or April, of course. But at the end of the grain harvest, there would be another festival in part to give thanks for the harvest that has just been over the previous weeks. Indeed, this festival was called the Feast of Weeks, and it was celebrated seven weeks after Passover. Passover, the beginning of a grain festival, commemorating leaving Egypt, the Festival of Weeks seven weeks later. When Israel left Egypt... They parted the, you know, God parted the Red Sea. They passed through the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army destroyed in the Red Sea. They traveled then down the Sinai Peninsula, as it's called today, to Mount Sinai. And as we follow the dating given to us in the book of Exodus, we realize that they arrive at Mount Sinai more or less seven weeks after leaving Egypt. And there, at Mount Sinai, they received from God the law, the Ten Commandments, a whole variety of other laws. The Ten Commandments in particular were given by God's voice to all of Israel, and God wrote them on two tablets of stone. Probably not the great big stone that Charlton Heston carries in the old film of Moses, probably a bit more like a smartphone or a tablet. All the words of the Ten Commandments chiseled on each of the two stones and later placed in the Ark of the Tabernacle in a way for safekeeping. So this festival of weeks, seven weeks after Passover, came also to remind the Israelites of being at Mount Sinai and receiving from God the law, the law written on tablets of stone. Once the Israelites settled later in the land under Joshua, Moses' successor, three times a year, 
the men had to go to the central place, Jerusalem later, for worship for the three main feasts. The other feast was later in the year, the Feast of Tabernacles. Passover, Feast of Weeks, and Feast of Tabernacles in September, October. The men had to go. The women and children were not obliged to, but were welcome to go for, that, for those three feasts. And so roughly in the year 30, maybe 33 AD, pilgrims flocked to Jerusalem again. They came from all over the Promised Land and beyond. Because by the time of 30, 33 AD, there were Jews living in a whole range of different countries in the Middle East and Mediterranean sort of area. And they were making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the temple, to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. Seven weeks after Passover, seven weeks after the crucifixion and resurrection, seven weeks 49 days, we would count. By this time, 30-33 AD, probably the most common language was Greek, no longer Aramaic or even Hebrew. And in Greek, the 49 days was counted, in fact, as 50. The first and the last both counted. Indeed, if you go to France today, a fortnight is 15 days, not 14, as we might count it. And so the name of the Feast of Weeks in Greek is Pentecost. It's not a new name in Acts chapter 2, in the events that we heard in the epistle uh, reading. It's already a name that's been around, as the name just changed as the Greek language became more common. Fifty days or seven weeks after Passover, after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, there was the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost. But this one was different. It's not the first Feast of Pentecost, but this one was different. Because there was a, a sound that was different, a sight that was different, and indeed, speech that was different. In verse 2, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like the mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, they being the disciples, 12 of them, Matthias has replaced Judas, maybe some other people with them. They're not in the temple at this point. A sound like the mighty rushing wind. It isn't actually a wind as far as we're told, but the sound of a wind gushing through the house. It's strange in a way, but then the sight, because divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. That's verse 3. I guess a divided tongue, a bit like a, a dragon or some animals, a snake or something like that, and as if they were like fire, above or on the, each of the 12 at least, sitting around there. A strange sight. So often when you read the New Testament, the Old Testament provides the sort of background, symbolism and ideas and images and language. And in the Old Testament, wind and fire are often symbols of the presence of God. Like in the time of the prophet Elijah, like at Mount Sinai even. Here is wind and fire, a sight and a sound. And then thirdly, and surprisingly, speech. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit 
gave them utterance. Now, this is not a total surprise, as in the Spirit. Jesus has said that in chapter 1 of Acts, before his ascension to heaven 10 days before. And indeed, before the crucifixion, on the night before he died, as we heard in the reading from John's Gospel, Jesus tells the disciples then, in repeated fashion, that after he's gone and ascended, he will send his spirit down. And here it is. But what's surprising is all these different languages. The wind and the fire suggesting the presence of God, God's own spirit, now with different languages. Well, as I said, I lived in Malaysia for seven years. Friends at home sometimes say, oh, you must be fluent in Bahasa Malay or Chinese or Tamil. Well, I'm barely fluent in English. I have a handful of words in Bahasa Malay, and even then I get it wrong. The other night, I think it was, I said to somebody, ah, oh, salamat pagi, and then realized, oh, no, that's morning, not night, and I had to stop and think and feel very embarrassed that I couldn't even work out how to say goodnight to somebody. I wish often that I was fluent in many languages. And as I read this passage, occasionally I sort of feel a bit green with envy, thinking, wow, wouldn't it be amazing that the Spirit of God would suddenly enable me here to speak in different languages. In the area that I'm a bishop for in the Diocese of Melbourne, uh, we have, a, and I'm overseeing our, our general multicultural ministry, we have congregations in Tamil, in Malayalam, in Mandarin, in Cantonese, uh, various Sudanese languages as well. Uh, we have an Indonesian con congregation, a Thai congregation, uh, Arabic, as, as so on. And I so often wish that I could just walk in and speak their language. But of course I can't. It's always with an interpreter, as it was so often when I lived here and preached in different churches as well. So here are the 12 apostles surprisingly speaking different languages. You see, this is the festival where people have come to from different parts of the Promised Land and beyond. And so we're told here that there are people there who speak, uh, who, are, who are Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arab Arabians. That's a, that's a pretty diverse mix. And they're all hearing the disciples speak in their own language, or at least one disciple speaking in their own language, understanding what is being said, and what they're speaking is not about, well, what are we going to eat for lunch? What they're speaking about are, are testifying to the words and, uh, and deeds of God, what God has done for them. Now, that's a surprising Pentecost. None of them went expecting that. And here they are, all these people, and they're saying, well, these people who are speaking these different languages, our languages, they're just Galileans. Now, bear in mind, Galilee's up in the north and Jerusalem's the capital city. And it's sort of like the people of Kuala Lumpur looking down their nose at the people from, you know, Johor or Kelantan or something. Oh, they're just from Kelantan. I mean, they're sort of backward people. That's the sort of implication. Oh, they're just Galileans. How on earth could they speak our language? is what basically is being said here. And so some, sort of mocking what's going on, say then, in the end of verse 13, oh, they're filled with new wine. Well, of course they're not. 
they're not just speaking gobbledygook. I mean, if I hear somebody speaking in a different language, which in a city like Melbourne is quite common, I sometimes try and guess what the language is. Do I recognize the, the tone or the style of language? Uh, usually, I guess I get it wrong. I just don't understand the words. Uh, and off, you know, I wouldn't normally think, oh, those people are drunk, of course. But you see here, they're not just speaking rubbish or gobbledygook. They're not just mumbling away in something incomprehensible. But rather, these disciples are speaking different languages that are known by others who are gathered around in the temple and in Jerusalem. They're not drunk. And so Peter, we're told in verse 14, gets up to address the crowd. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the morning. Now, that's not always a good excuse to say that somebody's not drunk, I would have thought. I live in Melbourne, Australia, where people drink far too much, and I'm sure there are people who are drunk at the third hour of the morning. But Peter is saying these people are not drunk, but rather, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he goes on then at length to quote from the prophet Joel, from Joel chapter 2. Joel's prophecy was about the end days coming and that in the end days the Spirit of God would be poured out on all sorts of people. What Peter is in effect saying is these end days messianic age has arrived. In the Old Testament at times God's Spirit comes upon specific individuals, the king for example and others at times. But the Spirit of God is not poured out on all God's people in the Old Testament. But here it is. And not just drip-fed, a few drops here or there, it's, it, the Spirit of God is poured out. The sense of almost overwhelming nature of the pouring out of the Spirit of God. To men, to women, to children, to slaves, to anyone, to everyone. That's Joel's prophecy. And Peter is saying, here it is. Joel was seven, eight, nine hundred years before this event. And here, finally, his prophecy is being fulfilled. As I said, the festival of weeks in Jesus' day also commemorated the giving of the law at Mount Sinai written on tablets of stone. But one of the other prophecies of the Old Testament about the Spirit to come would be that the Spirit would write God's law not on tablets of stone out there, but would write God's law in people's hearts in here. And that's the significance of the connection. Here are they commemorating the giving of the law on tablets of stone, but the real problem of the obedience of God's people is not the law itself, or the stone for that matter, it's the fact that the law has not penetrated the heart. And so the Old Testament looks forward to and awaits the day when God's Spirit will take the external law on tablets of stone and write it in the hearts of people so they can begin to do the law with faithful obedience. And so here at this Pentecost, in 30 or 33 AD, we find the fulfillment of the long-awaited gift of the Spirit and the law now brought interior to people, written on their hearts. Joel predicted 
this, in effect, the pouring out of the Spirit of God. And that's what Peter is saying has happened. Now, Peter quotes Joel at length, and we heard that read to us. For example, verse 17, In the last days I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, sons, daughters, young men, old men, even servants, in verse 18. They'll all receive the Spirit of God. It's not going to be discriminatory. It's not going to be for the elite or the educated or even for the pastors or ministers. There'll also be, in verse 19, signs in heaven and on earth. Signs associated with the crucifixion, signs associated with the resurrection, signs now associated with the wind and the fire as well. The sun turned to darkness, in verse 20, is what happened at the crucifixion, before the day of the Lord comes. And so the end of this quote is that it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the climax of Joel's prophecy, the climax of today's reading, in fact. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. Regardless of language, ethnicity, regardless of social standing, men, women, children, slaves, servants, everyone. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Cappadocia, doesn't matter where they're from, doesn't matter what language they speak. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In the Old Testament, the Lord's name was Yahweh, Jehovah in Old English. But now as Joel's prophecy is being read aloud here, and following on the teaching and the ministry and the miracles and the death and the resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, the name of the Lord is Jesus. And so beyond today's reading, as Peter goes on in his sermon on this Pentecost day, he speaks about Jesus, the mighty works he did in verse 22. He speaks about Jesus' death in verse 23. This Jesus you crucified, but God raised him up in verse 24. Later on, he refers again to the resurrection. He refers to the ascension of Jesus, which has happened just 10 days earlier than this. So we get a snapshot, a summary of the major things of Jesus, because Jesus is the name of the Lord. And then finally, the climax of all of this sermon, in verse 36 let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Christ. Pentecost is an invitation to men and women, to children, to servants, to the rich, to people of any ethnicity, language, from any tribe or nation, everyone indeed, to call on the name of Jesus and be saved. It sounds too easy. Call on Jesus' name and be saved? Surely I have to do something. Surely I have to do a, an equip course. Surely I have to be in church regularly, be baptized and so on. Yes, repent and be baptized, Peter goes on to say. But basically, the fundamental, the core thing, Call on the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. And it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter whether your background is Confucianism or Communism, Buddhism, Hinduism or Islam. It doesn't matter what ism or what, what religious background. Call on Jesus' name 
to be saved. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Tamil speaker or a Mandarin Hokkien speaker, whether you speak English or not, with an Australian or American or British accent or not. It doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is, what language you even speak. The, the spirit enabling the disciples to speak in every language, basically, is making it clear this is the gospel for everyone and anyone, without exception, anywhere in the world, at any time in history. Jesus is not just the Lord for Jewish people or for the people who even live in Israel-Palestine, but rather he's Lord of all, Messiah Christ of all, and for everyone and anyone without distinction, the invitation to call on the name of Jesus and be saved. During the pandemic, five friends of mine died of COVID, three of them younger than I, two older in varying countries. All five were believers in Jesus. All five had called on the name of the Lord Jesus and been saved. In fact, all five had served in Christian ministry or work in their lives. Tragic death, unspeakable grief. Many of you may have the same experience in the last couple of years. Death is awful. For most of our world, death holds a painful sting. But for those who call on the name of the Lord, death has lost its sting. They're saved. As you and I who've called on the name of the Lord Jesus also are saved. On this Pentecost day in 30 or 33 AD, 3,000 people called on the name of the Lord Jesus and were saved. And what about you? Don't think that your religious piety or devotion will save you. Don't think that your acts of good works or generosity will save you. Don't think that the Christian heritage of your parents or grandparents will save you. What will save you is calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. And it doesn't matter who you are. Maybe you've walked into this cathedral building today for the first time ever in your life. Maybe you've been coming here for decades. You call on the name of the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. And the encouragement of Pentecost with the Spirit giving all these different languages is that as we preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, men and women, children, slaves, servants, whoever, from whatever ethnic language background, can be saved by the same Lord, the same Christ, Jesus, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that in your great mercy for this world, anyone and everyone who calls on Jesus' name will be saved by your grace and his powerful death and resurrection. Stir our hearts to call on Jesus and stir up our courage to share with others this same gospel of salvation in Christ, by grace through faith. Amen.